as I mentioned, it was like something out of a thriller, a bad one at that. Uh, Rogers, the collapse of its network on on Friday, at least for a while. Uh, well, today uh, there was uh, there was questions to be answered. The federal industry minister held an emergency call with the CEOs of Rogers and other major Canadian telecom companies. Uh, Francois Philippe Champagne has given them sixty days to come up with a deal to improve uh, network reliability. Here is the minister. Everyone acknowledged this was unacceptable. Uh, that we need to work together for better quality and reliability, um, and and certainly that there is a willingness. Uh, to learn from each other. That's François Champagne there. Of course, the big issue on Friday, and my next guest will get into this, is that uh, it just showed us how reliant we were on one company. So that when they went down, you know, a lot of the country kind of ground to a halt. Not all of it. A lot of us had different service providers, and it all worked. But so much was impact. You couldn't really go anywhere without seeing the impact of that of that outage. Uh, for here in Victoria, it was the grocery store, the bank. It was everywhere. So maybe it's time to reboot the way we think about Canada's digital infrastructure in general, at least that according to an op-ed that my next guest has written for the Globe and Mail. Vas Bednar is the executive director uh, of the Master of Public Policy and Digital Society program at McMaster University in Hamilton, also a senior fellow at the Centre for International Governance Innovation. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. Hi. It really did. Uh, you mentioned in that op-ed, you sort of harken back to 2003 and the Great Blackout. I was in New York for the mm. Great Blackout, believe it or not. Believe it or not. <laughs> oh, uh, wow. So, it did, yeah, it did remind me of then because really you're like, oh, wow, everything just went out. Um, where did you see the parallels? It's an interesting comparison. I, I love thinking about the parallels in terms of how we were disconnected and things sort of halted and felt frozen and then people kind of came forward in interesting ways to connect with neighbors, eat ice cream or direct traffic. Um, but I also really appreciate the contrast because in 2003, that was actually five years before the App Store launched. And at the time, it was a big deal to even have a cell phone. And if you did have one, the super cool thing was a camera phone. That was like the big thing in 2003. Yeah. So I like contrasting just because it reminds us that the role of the internet and cellular services in our lives has really fundamentally changed. And that's why I'm kind of part of the chorus of people calling through for this rethink, or as you said, rebooting it. Yeah, because it does show, we are now as reliant on, on our telecom infrastructure in some ways, as we were on electricity in 2003 and still are today. But it really did highlight just how vulnerable we are if something goes wrong. Absolutely. The vulnerability, but also the hyper-connectedness, as you pointed to, right? Friday was really a domino effect for the digital infrastructure that underpins our economy. So it wasn't just the pleasure of a impromptu personal digital detox or the angst of not being able to send or receive a text message to your crush. Um, this was about payment infrastructure and really the, the access to emergency services. So we are providing essential services over private infrastructure that the government uh, currently defines as basic. And that's not a diss to call something basic, which is sort of teen vernacular. Um, but we haven't quite, we haven't formally designated the internet as being essential in, in Canada. And yet, Friday really made it seem essential to me. What about Friday surprised you? I mean, you, you spent a lot of time looking into this. What about Friday surprised you the most? Hmm, I wasn't surprised that there was an outage per se. I mean, these are massive, complex systems, and I totally get that things happen. But I was surprised by the scale, the duration, 
and also the kind of spotty communication about the outage. Again, back to this feeling like an essential service. People didn't need corporate communication, sporadic corporate comms. People needed the facts as soon as possible. And I didn't really understand why we didn't use kind of a full core press, all the tools that we have. We have this incredible emergency alert system. I know you can't receive the emergency alert if your phone is bricked, but your peers can, your neighbors can. Um, My email was working because I'm with Bell, but my phone is with Rogers. I would have gladly received an emergency alert by email because I'm a Bell customer to say, listen, there's an outage. A lot of people are affected. We're getting more of the facts. In the meantime, here's what you need to know. We just didn't have the information that we needed, that we deserved. And I think the scariest part was the proportion of Canadians that were cut off from accessing emergency services from 911. We have to make sure that that never happens again. Yeah, that was a big surprise because my understanding, of course, is that that was never supposed to happen. Yeah, I sort of just (laughs) anticipated that too. I don't want to say it's kind of through osmosis or anything like that, but um, I was surprised that the emergency roaming aspect that the minister is now calling for and that we know companies are going to be working on uh, wasn't actually already in play. And just to explain that for a second, all that means is, you know, if Rogers is down, then your phone will automatically connect to Bell. It's kind of like how when you're roaming in the U.S., uh, just mentioning this because some people might be familiar with it, and you mentioned being in New York, um, your phone will automatically roam to the AT&T network or, or Verizon. So emergency roaming would see us have uh, established conditions for uh, what would happen domestically. Um, I think that's really promising. It's modest, right? Policy innovation doesn't have to be always revolutionary or reinventing the wheel. We can have incremental change that's actually super meaningful and makes a big difference for people. You did point out a fundamental problem earlier, though, is that when, it, when, when the rubber hit the road here, it was essentially left to Rogers to communicate what was going on, and they communicated as a company would, right? Uh, we're not going to tell you what we don't need to tell you, and we're not going to tell you what we don't know yet, right? That's sort of unlike a power company that sort of says, here's where it's out, here's what we're doing, crews are on the way, you know, it, it, you know, you're right, you pointed out a very distinct difference between how a utility communicates an outage versus how a company uh, communicates one. Right. And maybe we just needed to get a little utilitarian in that regard. Now, I understand that the company didn't want to kind of fear monger and that early on there might have been concerns about a cybersecurity attack. And in fact, though we know that's not the case, cybersecurity risks are all the more reason for Canada to kind of double down on a better emergency protocol for a future outage. Um, I'll be honest with you, I kind of feel bad for Rogers that they've become this uh, temporary punching bag for the country because to me, the issue, it's not quite about Rogers. I know it's a, they need to be accountable and they're owning this and they're kind of leading in that regard. But it could have been any one of the three telecommunications companies. I'm sort of, in my mind, calling it, uh, tell me if you think this, this is going to stick, Red Friday. <laughs> Just <laughs> like the outage and stuff like that. Again, I don't think it needs to be co-branded with Rogers. I think that um, in a lot of ways, the telecommunications convo in Canada is kind of, volcanic, right? It's always been kind of hot and brimming and frothy. It's there and it's fiery. And on Friday, it erupted. So suddenly you see all over the news, these old ideas, new ideas, old frustrations, new frustrations that I I see as very productive. And that's where the volcano uh, analogy completely falls down because 
I do think this is a great opportunity for Canada to bounce back and be more proactive and more productive here. I'm speaking with Vas Bednar this half hour, Executive Director in the Master of Public Policy and Digital Society Program at McMaster University. We're talking about what could lie ahead following Friday, what a better infrastructure, uh, digital infrastructure in this country could look like. And after the break, that's where we'll go. We'll talk about uh, some of your ideas that you brought up in that Globe Mail op-ed about what exactly a more uh, resilient and also uh, perhaps a more customer-friendly, in some senses, a utility, really, since it is, so we are also dependent on it, what that would look like. Uh, that's coming up. Vas Bednar is our guest this half hour. She's the executive director in the Masters of Public Policy and Digital Society program at McMaster in Hamilton, also a senior fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation. We've been talking about what she's dubbed Red Friday. I think it'll stick. Not to single out <laughs> Rogers, but just a, a, a reminder of just how connected we all are. And when one service provider, because there aren't that many in this country, when one goes down, it can create a huge amount of havoc as it did. Uh, we're also talking about an op-ed that Vass wrote for the Globe and Mail, talking about how it's time to rethink uh, how we look at our digital infrastructure. What would that look like? Because you've talked about it as a public good. There are some examples out there, I know, of, uh, of where it is, in fact, a public good. Uh, what mm. might that look like and how would it help? Well, we've got some examples in Canada already. The infamous Saskatel in Saskatchewan. We have a bunch of municipalities. They're actually playing around, experimenting with linking up their fiber optic network. So previously they weren't really a network, but turns out we have all this uh, fiber cable uh, with public transit, uh, water sewage treatment centers, uh, water water centers rather, and sewage. So uh, the city of Toronto is looking at the potential benefits of linking that up so that the, the facilities, the wires themselves will be publicly owned and then they would lease out space to private providers, ISPs. And that's the kind of more blended model that would more closely mirror what we see at uh, mirror what we see in Australia, where they've kind of separated out facilities-based and and uh, service-based competition. We also have a situation, if you want to zoom out and go all the way to um, outer space, not to sound like a tech bro or anything, but, you know, we are using low-orbit satellites to complement connectivity efforts here in Canada. And that's a situation where we are, don't have our feathers kind of ruffled about a foreign-owned company kind of in the space. So, as we think more about how we can improve the system, I think it's important to remember that while there might be kind of lofty or, you know, bigger goals that seem more radical or revolutionary, actually we can be kind of taking an approach that's more like radical incrementalism, uh, modest incremental changes that uh, have this otherwise Frankensteinian system start to evolve and become a bit better. What would be a good first step then in that direction in Canada? Well, you know, there's a lot of talk about what all the companies have to do together and with the government, but I think we can also click refresh on what we'd like to see all orders of government do. I mentioned the municipal broadband efforts. I mentioned a provincial uh, example where there's a crown corporation, and then we're thinking about the federal government. Now, the federal government has a call-out. They actually have a new proposed policy direction that's being proposed to the CRTC on telecom, their goal is to improve prices and services in that regard. And that's something people can write into and demonstrate their support for and share feedback. So back to that kind of ongoing, almost zombie-like conversation, no disrespect to zombies, but we're kind of always talking about telecom competition in Canada, but we sort of talk about it as a joke, right? We're kind of resigned to the oligopolist tendencies of our country. We have that joke 
it's not even that funny, but I'll repeat it for you, that Canada's just three telecom companies in a trench coat. Um, and I think what Red Friday showed us is that, you know, it was embarrassing. It was hurtful to the economy. It caused people to be unable to access emergency services. So I think we've got a really cool opportunity here that we shouldn't shy away from, right? We can't make this just about Rogers, which is why I'm kind of joking. We need a different name that doesn't just, not just punitive to them. This is about Canada and the system we have and the system that we want. How do we close that gap? Because I think Friday was also about uh, expectations, managing expectations. And the reality seems that having uh, private companies that are fundamentally accountable to shareholders, not everyday Canadians, felt really frustrating and really annoying. It did. I, I, I think millions voiced that very sentiment on Friday. Uh, there's always pushback, though, isn't there, when it comes to, to, I mean, this is an area that has been left in the hands of um, of just a few companies for quite a while now. Is Do you think mm-hmm. it's, it's too late to, to sort of put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak? I don't think it's too late. I mean, let's acknowledge the significant capital investments that these private companies have made to lay the groundwork for that physical infrastructure. Um, That physical infrastructure has tended towards a kind of natural monopoly, which is why you hear people calling for nationalization of the infrastructure that telcos have. Um, I know there's a, there's a school of thought or a camp that will sort of say, Oh, you know, that's, you're just, you know, you're holding a hammer and everything seems like a competition uh, issue to you. These are kind of older arguments or they kind of feel stale. And to me, it just feels like the window of opportunity cracked open for us to have a realistic kind of hashtag real talk conversation, again, about the system we have, which has evolved over time. It's kind of Frankensteinian. It's kind of weird. It's difficult to understand. Um, And to a system that we can continue to evolve and sculpt so that it better serves Canadians. And really top of mind, we haven't touched too much on this, is just making sure that no matter what, no Canadian is ever cut off from emergency services ever again. I think that's a pretty acceptable goal for us to work towards. Yeah, that's that would that would seem like a good place good place to start. Uh, just on the competition mm-hmm. front, I mean, you know, we, we are looking at yet another consolidation within the industry. Is is I mean, I know you mentioned in the op-ed that consol you didn't think competition was really the main problem here. That in fact, uh, what was needed is is for it to be treated more like a utility to some extent. Uh, but does the competition factor worry you at all? Uh, I mean, I'm always kind of stressed about the lack of dynamism and this economy writ large. So that's kind of a big question. I don't know how much time you have. Um, <laughs> Two minutes. The, okay. You know, so the lack of choice for Canadians certainly concerns me. One of the uh, potential interventions you saw people championing on Friday was, hey, you need to decouple or unbundle yourself. So make sure that your cell phone carrier is different than your home internet. It's not terrible advice, but what I don't like about it is that it puts the burden on the shoulders of everyday people. And everyday people are not going to be the ones who solve these deep, systemic kind of structural issues, again, with the system that we have, which is why I think we need to stick with this, zoom out, and keep these interesting, excellent, overdue conversations going. And also, you know, maybe double down and make the case for Canadians and remind them if the system that we have is so amazing and so incredible, which by my read, it's not, the prices are going up, 
their low choices and switching costs are high. It's not uh, something I'm writing home, home about. But if we want to double down and, and reconvince ourselves that this is somehow stellar and amazing, then let's do that too, because I think people need to be reassured that we have an appropriate system in place, especially in this inflationary period, which is really stressful, really scary, and where people are more price sensitive than ever before. Yeah, Vas Bednar, thank you so much for your time tonight. A fascinating conversation. I look forward to catching up uh, when we see if this conversation continues in, say, six weeks, six months. Hopefully. Stay in touch.